I see you at the Flames game. I think it's good to get a little crazy in church sometimes because we win, guys. We win. I don't know if you've read the end of the Bible, but we win. You might be taking a loss right now, but we win. Thank you, worship team. That was great. Yeah, that was really, really great. I'm Pastor Corey. If we haven't met, I would love to meet you. This is my lovely wife, Pastor Aaron. Uh, venue, we started Venue about six years ago, a little over six years ago now, and um, just look what the Lord has done. Um, I don't want to brag about being like a good husband or anything, but <laughs> Pastor Aaron on Friday night was digging a, a tree root out of the yard, and those tree roots are made out of wood. They're pretty tough. She needed a real man to come and help her. That's when you preach, you can say whatever you want. And so I went over there and I used my hands, everybody. I didn't have a saw anymore. I didn't want to come all the way to the church. I used my hands and a tiny axe that Quinn gave me because I'm a real man. It's like, you can handle this size of an axe. And I'm like, I can't. And uh, I got blisters on my hands, so I just want anybody, if you guys need marriage counseling, I'll help you out after. (laughs) The very political strike there. Everybody's wife is now like, why didn't you dig a tree root out of our yard? Um, Hey, there's tree roots in your friendships. Oh, that God might want to chop out today because they're kind of cropping up in funny places. but before we get to that, I just want to announce next week we have Pastor Amber Swayze from Connect Church. She's going to be preaching here on our VBS wrap up. Our, our big, we're calling it, sorry, our venue day camps for kids. Uh, and we have like 230, 50, 30 something. Anyways, kids, we have 50 venue volunteers, dream teamers. Thank you for taking time off of work. Thank you for coming and blessing the, the uh, kids of our city. We have a few spots left. So if you've got a friend that's not here yet, do that and then get their parents to church for the big there's a big barbecue and party afterwards so it's going to be great you guys so thank you so much i'm so proud of that entire team tammy and her team there for doing that thank you guys so much all right i'm going to get into my sermon um this is the the second part of a sermon called people i like i'm just talking about friendships this sermon is called red kool-aid and afterwards um we the church will be handing out kool-aid in fact, we do this at most of our city events. If you don't know the history of this, sorry, we're a bit sarcastic. But the city actually thinks it's hilarious when the church hands out Kool-Aid. So you're going to get some red Kool-Aid afterwards. I'll tie that in in a, in a little bit. Um, I'm talking today about a relationship between King David and three of his what, what are called mighty men, like the best of the best in Israel of his fighters, and their friendship. They did something 3,000 years ago for a friend that is still remembered. Most of the nations and kings of that day have been long forgotten, but this story lives on because of a sacrifice that they made for friendship. It's the kind of friendship you won't hear about in our country anymore, but it's the kind of friendship you'll hear about in our church and in the churches uh, in, this, in this nation. Scars, uh, scars and friendships are hard to take when your friendship doesn't really have a purpose. I feel like now the purpose of friendship is, is weak. I, don't, I wouldn't even call it a purpose. I just think it's more like a road trip where you're not going anywhere. And everybody's concerned about how they're being treated in the car. But you're not actually going anywhere. 
And I think that every relationship in your life needs to have a purpose. It needs to be going there. Scars are hard to take and feel very personal when your, your main concern in the car is just how we treat each other. But I'll tell you, it's easier to treat each other well when we have to get, to, we have to get along to get somewhere. We have to get along to get along somewhere. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, about Sean. If, if that's your relationship with your spouse right now, like I'm just with him so that I, he can make me feel good or that I can be loved, I'm like, that's not a good purpose. Then it's his job to love you. Then it's his job to make you feel good. What if, it's, if, if your marriage had a mission? What if you had a mission to help people and help people connect with God and save people? I think it's... I think we're way too worried about how we're being treated, and we will get scars from each other. Sean and I, um, we've been besties for a long time, and I'm going to share some stories about Sean right now. So just stay up there. <laughs> Sean's an introvert, so he's going to come up with some really good comebacks at about 2, the, two tomorrow morning. <laughs> Pastor Aaron and I are basically responsible for Sean and Nassia getting married. We don't want to take a lot of credit, but... Did she just say, shut up? Did she just say that? We've suffered so many scars from you, Nassia. You know, when they were dating back in the day, um, in my dad's church, they had this weird little relationship thing going on where Sean would come to me and he'd be like, Pastor... I was my dad's worship pastor. He'd be like, Pastor, I really like Nassia, but she's just not feeling it right now. She doesn't feel like God wants us to be together right now. And then every two months, then Pastor Aaron would come to me and be like, Nasia feels like they need to start dating and start courting each other. Like, feels like God is in this. And Sean would be like, I just don't feel it, Pastor. And every two months, they would trade. Every two months. And finally, Sean is talking to me and he does another one of his like, I don't know, Pastor. Nasia's really into it and I'm not really into it. And I finally said, in the words of the Holy Spirit, you two idiots need to decide to like each other at the same time. And that's why I can eat out of their fridge anytime I want to. And look what God has done with their beautiful uh, family and their beautiful kids. Now, I don't know if Sean's supposed to stay up or... You want to go down? Okay, you can go down. I, I'll tell this. I don't need you up here to tell this. I, so this would define Sean and, and, and my relationship, is that Sean and I are very different from each other. Now think about your friendships, how different they are from each other. Um, Sean is very... Um, Smart and I'm good looking. <laughs> and smart. Good looking and smart. Okay. Um, Sean is like a researcher. We're very different from each other, just in temperament and everything else. And so Monday, can I just tell you like a story that most of it I'm going to just make up right now. But on Monday, what happened at four at 4.08, I wrote down our, our, our conversation with each other. At 4.08, I texted Sean... Um, Hey, do you want a phone mount for my, a motorcycle? I'm not going to have a phone mount anymore, and you're welcome just to come and get it. So I put the phone mount in the middle of the floor, and at 4.08, I said, hey, come and get it if you want a phone mount for free. And so, um, and so Sean texts me back at about 4.25, and then he starts texting all nice, like, oh, you're so generous, and it's just typical, Sean. Like, oh, you're so great, Pastor. You're such an amazing guy, whatever. And all I can think of at that time is, like, just come and get the phone mount. Because it's sitting in my garage, and every time I walk past it, I'm just like, ah, I just want this out of my garage. And I put some other things there that I was hoping he would take too, but he didn't, so I had to throw it out. Now, now to understand our relationship, um, I might, it, it's been said of me that I might be a little impatient. I know, right? 
lie. People lie sometimes. People make up stuff about leaders. Um, so let me just set the tone for you because I was changing oil and I have, I, have, I have kids with cars and I change their oil to save them a little bit of money. So I was changing oil in three vehicles that day and then with, you know, and then I decided also because I needed something else to do on my, it's my day off. So the morning is my Sabbath. Half of Sunday is my Sabbath. Half of Monday is my Sabbath. But then I need a little, a half a day to actually catch up on some work. And so here I am Monday. I should have probably been having a nap changing oil in cars and crawling around and just literally not having a lot of fun. So at 408, you know, in the middle of like three or four hours in my, then I decided to reorganize my garage because let's do that, you know. So I'm like, I just need this phone mount out. So at 408, I was hoping he would text back at 408 and 30 seconds and say, I'm coming to get the phone mount, but he didn't. He starts in on this other stuff. And then, and then at 557, I'm like, where's Sean? Because I don't care if Sean's at work now. I don't care what's going on in Sean's life. I'm like, I just want the phone mount gone, right? And so, um, so at 5.57, I sent him a text like, let me know when you're coming by. And five minutes later, like, you people, you got to text immediately. <laughs> I need all your tracking on so I can tell where you are at all times. Like, it just helps me. He goes, eating soon at 6.02, then I'll drop by. And in my heart, you know what I said? I said, no, you won't. You're not going to come by. I'm still working. 7 p.m., my dinner is hot. I'm like, he's going to show up right now when I take my first bite of hot food. But he didn't. He texts me at 7.17 now. Are you following the timeline? Is it okay if I come by in 20 minutes? I'm putting the kids to bed early. I'm like, of course you are. Of course your kids are more important than this phone mount. And I knew he doesn't know what 20 minutes is. He doesn't know what 5 minutes is. He has no concept of time. He's not going to be by in 20 minutes. 749, that was 717. 749, he texts back and says, be there in five. And I'm like, no. <laughs> My doorbell rings at midnight, everybody. No, I just made that up. That's not true. Okay, okay. Finally, he comes over. And then we hang out a little bit. And then everything is good. Now, I'm kind of blowing this story up a little bit. Because Sean and I decided a long time ago that because we share a mission, we're not going to let little things annoy us. Now, was I annoyed? No, it's just, it's a difference in personalities. But think about how drama starts in relationships. We decided a long time ago that there was nothing that we were going to do to each other. We were never going to cross a line to harm each other. We were always going to look after each other and look out for each other. It helps us get over a lot of the little things in, in our lives. And Sean has been there with me, saved my marriage, saved my family. I've done the same thing for him because a friend is there for times of trouble. Now, it's hard to move together until we're going to the same place. No amount of nicety in relationship will make up for going somewhere together. If your purpose is just that nobody hurts you, who are you going to gather as friends? People not going anywhere. If they have nothing else to do but not hurt you. I feel like it got super quiet there. How do you deal with scars from friends? How do you deal with it? We've got scars from the mission, but then we've got some scars from each other too. And they haven't hurt us and they haven't hurt our friendship. Um, let me talk a little bit about this here. Uh, who's back there? Is that Katie? Hi, Katie. Katie's my third girl. She does a great job back there. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Katie's in there. 
She's also an introvert and loves the attention, so. This is what, well, this is what the enemy does. He gets, he gets a little mission bleed into your relationships. And as soon as there's a mission bleed, then it creates a little bit of distance between you. And distance creates distortion. Now check this out. Distance creates distortion. As soon as there's a little bit of separation in your relationship, see, Sean wasn't there. And it's starting to create a bit of distortion. So I'm just going to go through these really quickly. Distance creates distortion. Then distortion, this is why you hate your boss right now, distortion questions motive. As soon as it's distorted, you start ascribing a particular motive to them. Often that motive is your motive. But you start ascribing like, oh, this is why they're doing that. And then... Sacrifice is pulled, and then loyalty dies. Now, distance creates a distortion. Um, I don't think I need to handle that all that much. Does that make sense? Like, if we're not with each other and seeing each other that much, that's why if you miss church, it creates distortion. Right? It even creates distortion with you and God. And all of a sudden, you start, you don't see God as he is. You see God as you are. And church cleans out your filter. Right? But if you don't see your spouse for a long time, you don't see your friends for a long time, you don't see your small group leader for a long time, there's a little dis distance in there. You know, mission bleed will create that, but also if you're just not with each other, it just, we're just humans. That's just how it happens. Then distortion questions mo motives. Now, the, the worst part of this is that in the distance, w when the other person, you're questioning their motives in your heart, they don't get to defend themselves. Have you ever had an argument with somebody in your head? Well, see, they're not there though, right? People have arguments with pastor in their head all the time. And I'm like, the, the pastor in your head must be the dumbest guy on earth. Because the more that I talk in an argument against Paul, the smarter I get and the dumber Paul gets. You know what I'm saying? Because like nobody talks themselves into being the villain of the story, right? But as there's distance, I start questioning motives and then I create a, a, a fake version of you in my head that I start arguing against and I'm, I'm not going to lose those arguments. And most of the time when people come and talk to pastor and they've been arguing with fake pastor in their head for a long time, they forget that real pastor is pretty good in an argument. <laughs> and most arguments, if the devil can get in there with, between you and your small group leader, most arguments are based on a, a wrong principle that the story is just spiraled out of control now based on one word that you misheard or misread. Or... I hear it all the time that I bake it down to this thing, but it's so hard to give up all the rest of the stories because you've built an entire pinnacle on a foundation that's not real. Um, can I get real in church culture? Um, I had a, a small group leader uh, who doesn't attend here anymore. Um, they found out the hard way that it's harder to argue with me in person. And maybe I'm not the world's dumbest guy, you know. I'm a pastor's kid. Listen, guys, you might be going through what you're going through for the first time. It's hard to get something right the first time through it, particularly trouble. I'm a pastor's kid. I've probably seen that dozens of times. And then you come to me and tell me all the things that you're thinking and how wrong I am. I'm like, do you know how many times I've seen a family go through that? Like, this is your first time. This is an experiment to you. You don't know what the outcome of that's going to be. You don't know that attitude that you're carrying around. You don't know what that's going to look like in, in five years. But I've seen it, and I've watched kids grow up in it, and I've just watched generation after generation. There's, there's something about that. So... So this is what happened in this uh, small group leader. So he stopped coming to church for six weeks or seven weeks. And this is during COVID. Start, stopped coming to church for six or seven weeks. And then what happened was we're like, well, 
you, you signed a document saying like you're going to be faithful. I mean, you're, you're having a small group of people. What are you going to tell them to not go to church? You can only reproduce who you are. And so like your character is a big part of that. So do what you said you would do. So they stopped coming. And so we, we had a sit down with them. And, um, and I said something in that conversation. I said, this is something that you told me. And this is what, what he had said in a coffee meeting that we'd had before this happened. He's like, well, none of my kids are really following Christ. And I'm like, well, that's a problem too. Because the whole purpose of the small group is to raise godly families with kids who love Jesus. Right? So that's a problem if that's not happening in your own home. Like I would, fixing that's not going to help your home. We've got to fix your home. You know? So I'd heard this and I brought this up and he, and he said to me in this meeting, I didn't say that. And I'm like, yeah, you did though. He's like, no, my kids are doing, I'm like, no, that's not what you said though. And then he said, well, let's agree to disagree. And I'm like, no. Because <laughs> one of us is not telling the truth. And if I back up right now, he's going to think I'm stupid. I'm literally going to take back and be like, well, I guess that didn't happen. It 100% happened. That's why I brought it up. Because I'm concerned about his kids. So he says, agree to disagree. I'm like, no, we're not going to agree to disagree. And if you think that I am telling a lie to win this argument, then how can I pastor you? You want a pastor who lies? Well, no. Well, somebody got to back the truck up. In that conversation, because they had spun a story because they hadn't been around. They got offended. The guy hadn't been around. He tells me in that conversation, because we had Crystal call his wife and say, hey, we're just going to hit pause in the small group for a little bit. We just want to make sure everything's okay, you know? And he's like, well, Crystal called and attacked my wife on the phone. I'm like, do you guys know Crystal? Yeah. I'm like, Crystal? I'm like, I would. No. I'm like, Crystal, I'm like, he attacked my wife on the, I'm like, no, she didn't. She never attacked anybody on the phone. She doesn't even know how, which makes me sad. I've been training her how to attack people on the phone ever since. No. I'm like, no. I'm like, stop it. She didn't do that. Well, it felt like, I'm like, no, it didn't feel like that because it didn't happen. I'm realizing like, what created that? It's this distortion thing. But everything that he hears out of my mouth after that point, because now he's questioning my motives, is going to sound like, Pastor is out to get me. Pastor doesn't love me. When I'm like, no, I love you kids. That's why we got to talk about it. Everything after that's going to scar him. Because he got off mission. He forgot that his mission was to raise godly families who, whose kids love the Lord. When the sacrifice gets pulled, then loyalty dies. As soon as you stop sacrificing in your marriage, your heart will go wherever you start sacrificing. So this is where we, like, I'm just not in love with my husband anymore. Sacrifice. The word of God says, where your treasure goes, there your heart goes. Well, I can't control my heart. Where your treasure, where your time and resources go, there your heart will be also. Well, see, my husband is not sacrificing to me. Sorry, are we talking about your heart or his heart? If we're talking about your heart, treasure. Invest. I don't think my mom loves me. 
a teenager says, invest in that relationship. Sacrifice your time and your energy. Your heart will go there. You'll start getting this, this questioning the motives. Is this helping somebody? Because as soon as you pull your sacrifice, you pull your loyalty. So much I want to say. Here's what happens. Once you get into, can I just give you a little like pastor, pastor's kid behind the scenes here? Once you get into giving and generosity with God, our family gives a tenth back to the Lord for the saving and adoption of souls. We think it's a great deal. And the Lord also guarantees our other investment and causes it to go further than we could ever have done anyway. So there's, we live our, everything we touch turns to gold because God is good. But when we give to the Lord, we actually give more than that. But when we give to the Lord, if I stop giving to the Lord a month later, you ready? If you stop giving a month later, a tiny little issue will arise. That's a complete sidetrack issue. And it'll arise and we'll ignore it because it's such a ridiculously small issue. And I'll hear like a rumor of it. Sometimes I don't hear much because the church has grown. But a small group leader will hear a rumor of like, well, they're a little upset about something. A month later, that issue starts because the giving has stopped. Because now it's like, well, how I'm being treated in the car. Yeah, but you forgot that the car was supposed to go somewhere. We got to put gas in the car. We got to keep the car clean. We got to throw the garbage in the garbage can. You know, we got to live like a family lives. And then what happens is three months after that, a, this issue is now a huge issue and somebody leaves and we don't even hear about it now. And then we hear rumors six months after that about the issues that they had. And we're like, but that didn't even happen. Let's agree to disagree. I'm like, but it, it didn't even happen. They don't even know who handles the money at the church. How can they say they don't even know who that is? You know what I'm saying? Like, they don't even know that, and all of a sudden, this well, this is probably what happened. This is probably what. What happens when that gets in your home? It's like poison in there. Well, distance creates distortion, and distortion starts questioning motives. Invest. Invest. Re-engage. Invest. Invest. Have you ever asked your boss how his life is? No wonder you feel disconnected. How about his family? Hey, I saw your wife the other day. She looked lovely. He'll give you a raise, 100%. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. Now, David's three mighty men had what everybody else in Israel wanted when he became king. Everybody wanted to be besties with King David. But it didn't start there. They had an entire friend group called the group of mighty men that they were like besties with. These were... These are the guys that they hung out with. These were the guys they did life with. These were the guys they fought beside. These were the guys they bled with. Now, lifelong relationships don't often start in comfortable times. Think about that. If you're in a time of trouble right now, it is a terrific time to establish some lifelong friendships. It's a terrific time to sign up for a small group, to scan the QR code and sign up for small groups in the fall. Terrific time to get rid of all that baggage and freedom group that we're doing and get rid of all that baggage of yesterday so that you can walk into tomorrow and quit carrying around all this stuff and then handing all your friends rocks to carry around for the rest of their lives. Yeah, let's deal with our own rocks. Let's go and, um, first Samuel 22, it says, so David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. I'll set this up soon. His brothers and other relatives joined him there. So I knew his time out there. So David 
leaves Gath. And you're like, what's Gath? You remember Goliath of Gath. So David has been, if you think you're discouraged, David has been anointed king by Samuel in front of his brothers. He has been anointed king. He has killed Goliath of Gath two miles from the cave of Adullam. Two miles from here. And it says he escaped from Gath. What does that mean? He starts rising in Saul's ranks. He becomes one of Saul's top people. Saul gives him his daughter in marriage. Then Saul starts to try to kill him. He flees to, get this, the king of Gath for refuge. That's how bad it got. He goes in there and they're like, isn't this the guy that killed the big guy? He freaks out. He pretends he's insane. And the king of Gath is like, because they thought that evil spirits could be spread from one person to the other, which they probably could. He's like, get this crazy person out of my house. He escapes from Gath and goes to the cave of Adullam. So you think that you're having a bad day. Anointed king. His wife is somewhere. Who knows? With somebody. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's literally dealing with the worst time of his life and worse than I think you can probably imagine. It says, then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt, who were just discontented until David was the captain of 400 men. You know why? Because David prayed for help. And God's like, okay. And then 400 losers show up. <laughs> men who were in trouble, who owed everybody money, or who were just unhappy. And David's like, can I have somebody who's got a good marriage and a business maybe? How about somebody who's got like a nice horse? These guys don't got nothing. Like you sent me the worst guys in Israel. Now what you don't really know about this is that these 400 men were the basis of an army one day that would number 1.5 or 6 million people. These were the captains. So in the time of your trouble... You're like, God, I just want a good friend. And God's like, I'm going to give you a friend. We'll see if they hit their destiny because you'll never reach your purpose until you help somebody else get to theirs. Yeah, we'll see. They could be your best friend. They could be incredible. If you invest, if you give them your life. See, he could have brought David comfortable people, but comfortable people don't know how to fight. David doesn't need comfortable people. He needs uncomfortable people because he's got to train them how to fight and how to fight the battles that Saul won't fight. Two miles from where Goliath is defeated, David is suffering. Two miles is where his best friendships start. Two miles from the place where Goliath went down. Are you in Adullam? God has a divine people appointment in this room. Some of you will leave with the future of friendship. And some of you go home and be disappointed. But God might be sending you people. God might have sent you here to this church. Second Samuel 23. Once during the harvest when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Rephaim. So David is back here now. Now let me set this timeline up. David is king now. So we just fast forwarded a bunch of years. David is king now. The Philistines have heard that David is king. So they're trying to get to him quick if they can. So he goes back to a place, catch this, to the place of his greatest disappointment, the cave of Adullam. 
See, the place of your greatest loneliness and your greatest disappointment might be the, become the place of your greatest strength one day. He goes back there. He goes, I know how to live in disappointment, and I know how, and I know who I'm taking. He goes, I know how to fortify that place. I know how to have security in that place. I know how to fight from that place. And he goes there. It says, the three who were among the 30, an elite group of David's fighting men, went down to meet him there. So now David's in trouble because if he was in trouble with Saul chasing him, now he's in trouble because all of the Philistine army is after him. And the last people you want beside you when the enemy comes for your marriage are people who haven't walked beside you in the cave. Because everybody wants to be your friend when you're successful. But God will send you somebody who has the possibility of friendship when you're in the cave. David was staying in the stronghold, that's what I was talking about, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. So, two miles from where Goliath was defeated, Bethlehem is 12 miles away, and that's David's hometown. And the Philistines are making this personal. There's a detachment of Philistines where David's cousins are. That's how warfare is fought, if you don't know. And back then, it was like whoever had a sword and could swing it got everything they wanted. And David is, is trying to fight back the scourge of Israel. And they're targeting David and his family. David remarked longingly to his men. Watch this. Ready? Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. His military objective is not to drink water from wells. He just says out loud... Remember what that used to taste like when we were free. When my town was free. When the children of my nation were free. Man, that was the best water. Your hometown water is not the best water. It just tastes like the best water. And these three guys, they don't come down hard on his yearning or his weakness or his flaw. They're not like, David, get over it, man. We got we to gotta fight these Philistines over here. That's 12 miles away. We got to fight these Philistines. They didn't come down hard on him because they weren't distant from him. There was no distortion. They weren't misreading him as if David is just like, oh man, I just wish somebody would go and get me a drink out of that well because I'm super selfish. But if you're distant from your leader, that's what it'll sound like. Is the child being murdered over there? <laughs> I think a mom is in there like, oh, just be quiet. We're at church. <laughs> For the record, online audience, where you, that's a child's mother just trying to calm them down. We're not murdering your children here. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm a parent of uh, four daughters, and our kids are older now. I'm just glad it's not me. I, you know, when, when your babies are small and somebody's screaming... You're just like, I'm just glad it's not my kid. All right. Um, so the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate of Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. End of text. Who in the room would do something like that? 12 miles. Broke through Philistine lines. Here's the thing. You can't hide the sound of a sword fight in a town or on the way. 
I mean, it's like echoing through the... Do you think there's a garrison, garrison at the well? Yes. It's like the 7-Eleven. That's where you would set up. <laughs> Do you think... Bethlehem's not big, everybody. One noise and everybody's there. These three maniacs hear David express one longing. He doesn't send them. They're just like... And they go. And this is why I called it red Kool-Aid. Because there's no chance in the world when they got back that everybody wasn't covered in red Kool-Aid, everybody. That the water that they drew from the well. Can you imagine being like the water guy? And like, from the water from the well, the guys are just hacking and snapping and Getting cut and beat up. And, like, and you're just like, oh, water from the well. And then you're like, tackle football, man. Like, oh, And the other team's got like 400 guys. You're just like dodging and kicking and... And the guys are just keeping them off of you. And you're like, got to get the water back. This is a terrible mission. But it's great friendship. It's just, they come back and they are soaked and covered in red paint. And they brought David red Kool-Aid. It's almost like they were saying... We want you to taste. We don't want you to forget in this hard time. We want you to taste what it could be again. We want to remind you, David, that this is, we think it's God's dream that that well is free. We think it's God's dream. We want to remind you of a better day so that you, today doesn't seem like the worst day. You were reminded, we're going to, hey, we're going to get that well. Their scars in the years to come, as scars in good friendships do, just remind you of the mission. Like, hey, remember that time we baptized all those people and it was minus 30? And we baptized them on my garage and we did a video baptism of like, how many people? I don't even remember anymore. So many people. Video baptized them. Our service was two hours long. I'm so sorry. But we had to baptize people. <laughs> And people were getting saved and coming out of hell and going to heaven. And it was crazy time. And I got so sick because we baptized people and it was minus 30 and we did it in my garage. And we videoed them in my garage and I got sick. And it took me 10 days in Mexico to stop coughing my lungs up. <laughs> remember those scars? I remember. Remember the people that have left us? Yeah, I remember. They just remind us of what we've got. See, everybody wants the extravagant sacrifice of their friends. Don't you? You want to be David. You want your friends to be like the guys who would be that crazy and would be like, yeah, we'll go. That's what you want? That's what you need right now for your soul? We'll go. We'll get that. But here's what, what I want to remind you of is that there was a time before this time and before the previous Cape of Adullam time, there was a time that these men were in Israel when Goliath of Gath came out and said, send a man out and nobody would come. And Saul is there and Saul won't come. Were these guys in the army that day? Were these guys teenagers while dad was packing the home up so they could flee to the caves? Because Goliath said, give me a man, and if I fight and if I beat him, 
then you'll be our slaves. Did they see David come out as a teenage boy and be like, who is that freaking guy? He defies God and he'd make slaves of my, my cousins, my people. They see a teenager go out, ready? With a 0% chance he was going to live. They watched him come out. Why? Because he'd had enough. They watched a boy risk everything that a king wouldn't risk. So they wouldn't have to flee to the mountains in the caves with their families. Everybody wants loyal friends, but I wonder what you'd pay because friendship is expensive. Because David can't live in a world where Goliath's head stays on that ugly body anymore. It defies the right of God to rule and would make slaves of the kids of his nation. He can't live in a world like that. If David and his friends, when David is king, don't overthrow the Philistines, that well in Bethlehem is still in Philistine-occupied territory. You ready? A thousand years later, a boy named Jesus would have drank from that well. David didn't know that. His friends didn't know that. They just knew, knew that if David had a dream, then they were going to at any cost. That dream led to the Son of God being born in Bethlehem who became the well of life that you drank from to be here in God's family and to go to heaven when you die. And it's a free well because three of David's friends heard his heart and knew that if that's his dream, we're just going to trust him and we're going to go. Who'd go 12 miles and back and get covered with a little red paint with me? Because God is up to something. And he's not going to show us the end product. I don't think we're that smart, but he's going to show us a friendship and give us a dream. That the wells of our nation could be redug and our children could be free. That this nation could supply the poor nations of the world again. Jesus died to make friends of the enemies of God. And he hung on that cross and was covered in red paint and he drank the red Kool-Aid of friendship. And I want to ask you, what would you do for a friend? Maybe it's time to invest. Maybe it's time to put some roots down. Maybe it's time to bleed a little time and resources and see what God would do with the heart of a church that understands friendship again.